Open your Bible back to Ephesians chapter 1. I opened my notes yesterday afternoon, about middle of the afternoon, to go back over uh, what I was going to teach on this morning for the first time uh, since I have been using the computer. When I opened it up, it said that it couldn't find the file anymore. It said that you're trying to access a file that no longer exists on your on your hard drive. I went to Microsoft Word and went to their website, and they it took me two hours to go through and try to recover a damaged file because somehow something got damaged in it. I tried every way in the world to recover. Uh, that file, and I just couldn't do it. And so I was in panic mode yesterday afternoon at about 3 o'clock thinking my notes are gone to oblivion, what they are. And so I sat down and uh, I worked, worked as feverishly as I could to try to get something together for this morning. I hope, I pray that the Lord will be pleased to uh, bless uh, this lesson to our heart and to our mind and to our understanding. This We're only going to cover one verse. I I wanted to cover verses 3 through verse 6, but when I think about chapter, uh, verses 4 and four through 6, and I think about the importance of and the misunderstanding of the doctrine of election, I want to de- I, you, you can't spend enough time making that as scripturally clear as you can make it. So Lord willing, next week we'll come back and we'll deal with the doctrine of election next week in verses 4 through verse 6. But we want to just deal with one verse this morning. And I, you know, I mean, when I, I don't know about you, but when I think about the book of Ephesians, and I think about all the years that I spent in religion, just like you. I mean, I, you know, my mom and dad, when I was a child, I never missed a service. You know, we, we had Sunday morning Sunday school, you know, with a little envelope where you'd fill out your attendance, you know, of what you did. We all lied anyhow, you know, <laughs> lie, lie, lie. You know, we did, nobody was going to put, I, did, I didn't do that, you know. We filled it all out, you know. And, and uh, went, went to, you know, my mom, my daddy taught RAs, my mama taught the GAs. You know, we were there Sunday morning for Sunday school and Sunday worship and then, uh, we would be back for uh, training. I think it was called training, training union. <laughs> it's been so long ago. We'd be there for training union, then we'd have worship service, and then we'd have Wednesday night service. And you know, my mom and dad were always, most of the time, close friends with the pastor and his wife, as well as the song director and his wife. And so we had a swimming pool, and they always had kids, and so they were always over at our house, and we were with them. And all, you know, the, the sun, just, just like you, uh, vacation Bible school every year. Uh, we didn't celebrate uh, Halloween. We'd have a fall, you know, one of them fall things, you know, which my mom and them celebrated Halloween, but we would still have that fall festival thing at the church. And then we always had the Valentine's banquet every year, you know. But everything, everything revolved around the church. I never... Never in my life knew anything or even, I mean, I probably had maybe had read it. I think even as, as a young person, before I went tremendously bad at 15 years of age, I, I, you know, I, I can remember 
reading the Bible, but I never remember seeing anything about this thing that blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, according as he hath chosen us in him. And I certainly would have never bowed to the fact that God sovereignly chose to save somebody, and he sovereignly purposed and determined to, to not save others. That was just foreign to us, right? It's in the book. Can, can we deny the book? Deny what it teaches? I tell you, I, I have uh, started studying and uh, reading two books, one by a man named James Archibald and the other by one of my favorite authors, Robert Haldane, about uh, the, can, the canon of Scripture and why we have our Bible and why we accept the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 22, I think 20, or 26, 20, 27, I don't know, 66 total, and 27, I think. Why those are the only ones we accept. Interesting study. I, yeah, it, been been in been under the gospel. Believe believe the word of God to be the word of God. And I yeah, I know as well as you do that the King James version is a translation of the original Hebrew and uh, Greek Septuagint. I know that just like you do, like every other uh, uh, version of the Bible. They're all translations. I think that the King James is probably, without a doubt, the gold standard in translation. But to see how uh, it came into existence and how long it's been accepted, especially the Old Testament scriptures, you know, they, that, those those things, the, the Old Testament scriptures, the only thing Paul and them had. Now they preached the gospel of Christ, but where to get the gospel from? They got it out of the Old Testaments where they got it out of. And the New Testament wasn't really actually, you know, they had the letters, that, you know, like this letter that we're talking about here in Ephesians. They had the letters. The churches had the letters, and they copied and passed the letters around one to another. But as far as it being put together in a format as far as what the New Testament was concerned, that didn't happen to somewhere around between 200 and 300 A.D. before they had the first where it all came together. And then it wasn't actually put into and translated into what we have until like the, the 1500s. What did that be, the 16th century, 15th, 14th century? I'm not good on that stuff. But it's interesting to study that. I tell you, this is the thing. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's breathed out by God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly or thoroughly furnished unto every good work. This part too. You, can't, you cannot deny the doctrines that are so clearly and plainly set forth by the Apostle Paul. And as I told you last week, the thing that's so interesting, I've heard people say, well, these things here in this Ephesian letter are things that are for, for grown, people that have grown in, in grace and knowledge of the truth. You know, they're full-grown saints. They're mature saints. This letter's written to all the saints. 
whether they're a newborn babe in Christ or whether they're grown and have been under the gospel for decades, it's the same message. Paul didn't change. I, and, you know, that, that's the thing. You don't either. I don't either. I, I think if you've heard me for the last 36 years, I'd say the only one sitting here that has Sally and Emmy been with, I've been saying the same thing for 36 years. I hadn't changed a bit. And I've never shied away from preaching these what they consider hard truth. It ain't hard truth. It's hard to the natural mind. Matter of fact, I'll go further than that. It's impossible to the natural mind. Now, you might not understand it perfectly and completely, and you might can't explain it to somebody, and you might, you might have some questions even, well, how does this fit into this? But you know what you do as a child of God? You bow to it because you understand who is in control, who is on the throne, who is G-O-D, the supreme, true, and living God. And if he did it this way, whether you like it or I like it or anybody else likes it or not, what is it? It's truth. It's the truth. And the thing is, the book in its entirety from Genesis to Revelations, what is it? It's a book of redemption. All it's about. We, we see the creation story. Then what do we see next? The fall of man. And from the fall of man forward, Everything is telling us and more clearly and eloquently and more doctrinally revealing to us what God did before the foundation of the world. Before Adam ever fell, before he had ever done any good or evil. You see, you've got to reply all the scriptures to all men. It, it ain't just Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. If Adam and Eve wasn't in that love part, Kenny, they went to hell but we know they are in Christ. How? God redeemed them. And he taught them redemption. And the theme of this book, Ephesians, like I've told you since we started several weeks ago, is the same thing. Redemption. And it begins with this fountainhead of redemption in verse 3. Shows us who the source is. And it continues, and it gives us three specific persons, all three persons of Godhead, who work in this matter of redemption. In verses 4 through verse 6, we see the work of God the Father. We'll talk about that next week. God chose a people in Christ before the foundation of the world. In verses 7 through verse 12, what do we see? We see the specific work of God the Son who came here, took a place of subservience as the servant or the, the, uh, uh, the redeemer, the surety of his people, came here and actually worked out that redemption through his obedience unto death by which the Father is glorified and honored as both a just God and a Savior. And then in verse 13, 14, not to be left out, we see the work of God, the Holy Spirit, in salvation. What does he do? He takes all the things of Christ, who he is, what he did, what he actually accomplished, where he is now, and he reveals it unto God's people through the declaration of the gospel. 
So these opening 14 verses are a whole lot more than just exalted passages in the Word of God. But you know what it is? It's actually, when you look at this thing, starting in verse 3 down through verse 14, it's one long sentence. That's <laughs> what it is. It's one sentence. You're talking about the king of run-on sentences. This is it. It's one long sentence. And you know what the whole sentence is written about? It's written to the praise of the glory of honor and honor of God's grace and mercy to the undeserving. That's how he starts off. Blessed. This is Paul. Huh? How does he start off? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us. Think about the language here, and we're going to talk about this this morning. Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now, at the very beginning, we're brought to worship the God of purpose, the God of grace, and the God of glory. Paul starts out, and he uses a word. And when I, I saw this, and I, I thought about it when I was going back over all this yesterday afternoon, uses the same word that's used over in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Right? Blessed. Not, not will be blessed. Blessed. And when Paul starts out here and he uses this word blessed, He's not telling you and me that we give any blessings to God by anything that we do. Now, we need to be very careful on this, but this is so important. Because if, if by what our actions or activities add blessings to God, what does that say of our God? That he's in need of something. You know, he said one time through his servant David that if he was hungry, what would he? Would, I wouldn't ask of you. He said, the cattle of a thousand hills are mine. He doesn't need it. He's not not like you and me. I was telling everybody earlier, I've been having some painting done at the house, and one of our air conditioners went out in the house. The downstairs unit went out on the hottest day of the summer. I think it was 107 on Thursday, and it went out about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I needed some air conditioning. I was I was called and the lady said it's gonna be overtime. I said, I don't care if it's triple time. You get somebody here today to fix this because I needed that. God doesn't need anything. That's the thing that's so amazing to me about our God. Everything, all the benefits, all the blessings that you and I have enjoyed, all these spiritual blessings that we're we're tr- surely gonna possess. We we possess them in type and in picture and in shadow and some of them are actually ours now but we're going to truly possess every one of these spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus ultimately either when he returns or he we pass away and leave this life to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord but listen all of that that, that we've enjoyed all of the times that 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 things have been so wrong for us as children of God and God is, again, we, we're filled with unbelief and doubt, and we're worried and anxious and troubled and in turmoil. And the thing is, when we look back after it's over with, you know what we find out? And what, we, what he actually teaches us through it all? Whose hand was guiding all of it? 
Now, it's easy to say that when we've gone through it, but when we're going through it, he's, he's directing every bit of it. Directed by infinite wisdom and infinite love. My stars, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to everything. That doesn't mean it's all good to us. A lot, of, a lot of what's all good to us is painful. But through it all, when we get to the end of it all, and, and He reveals to us the glory of this, this, this redemptive work that He did and included us in it, it didn't change him. It won't change him. It can't change him. It will not add anything to this God, our God. Not anything. And see, when, when you think about it, 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 this blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, basically this is a, this is a song of praise from the mouth of the apostle. And I, the only people can sing this song, I always think about Revelations. Over in Revelations, it said that they sang a, a new song. And the only ones that could sing the song was who? The redeemed. The redeemed could sing the song. One that's lost, that thinks their salvation conditioned on something they do or something done through them, they can't sing this song. You can't say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, if some of it depends on me. What it means when he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, it means that we ascribe to God the Father everything that's due to him is the one true and living God, the one who alone deserves all praise and glory. This idea of blessed be the God and Father, it's attributing to him all the infinite qualities of character that belong to him as the God of redemption. We're going to talk about this in the worship hour this morning. Peter wrote this, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Now, when you read that, that phrase, how do most people in religion, what, what do they define the word sanctify to mean? Huh? What do they think? When they, when they, people in all these other churches around today, when they see the word sanctify, what do they think? Holiness. Now think about that. Put that in there. Make the Lord God holy in your heart. Is that what he's talking about? Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. What does that mean? To set him apart and consider him, attribute to him who he is, what he did, what he actually come, that he is holy. He is the Lord God. He is the God of redemption. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh thee a reason of the hope. See, that's how we set him aside, the reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. God's worthy of our adoration and he's worthy of our praise, but the question is why? Why is God worthy of our praise? Here it is. He hath blessed us. Us who? His elect. Those that he chose in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world in the everlasting covenant of grace. He's blessed them. Because, see, that's the thing. The way this is written, whoever's blessed, what are they? They're blessed. And he, whoever this us is, 
He doesn't say he's offering blessings to them. What's he done? He's blessed them. Every one of them. And you think about the futility and folly of saying that there's some that God blessed on one hand and then turned around and put them in hell on the other. That's what they're saying. They say God loves everybody. That he sent his son to die for everybody, right? Didn't we believe that? Isn't that what you believe? Before the Lord taught you the reality of, of redemption, the reality of his holiness, the reality that he will by no means clear the guilty. They think that he, that he loved everybody so much that he sent his son here as an offer or an offering. And when he died, it made salvation possible for everybody that would accept it. But it didn't actually save anybody. Now, they won't say that, but that's exactly what they believe. It didn't save you. It, you it, it, and that's where those ideas of that, that are in false religion, what will you do with Jesus? You know, it, it's, it's God's my co-pilot. Yeah, Jesus take the wheel. It ain't, it ain't got nothing to do with that. He's not our co-pilot. This is his purpose. This is his plan. This is his work in its totality. And he alone deserves to be blessed for it, to be attributed to his character and his conduct, who he is, because he is the source of, he is the cause, and he's the originator of our salvation, and he's the reason we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And I that includes everything in our salvation, everything in our salvation, from when he chose us in eternity past till he justified us by Christ's obedience unto death until he regenerates and converts us in time by his Holy Spirit under the preaching of the gospel, until he finally and ultimately presents us to himself holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. And none of it, I mean none of it, depends on the sinner. Not his faith, not his repentance, not his perseverance. It is of the Lord's mercy that we're not consumed. His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We just finished studying. I wrote this into my notes this morning when we think about God the Father and his purpose. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. He saved us. Do you think about that much? We should, shouldn't we? I, I tell I, I think about, I'm, I'm 65 years old. I know I say that a lot, but it's just, it's hard, it's hard for me to believe that I'm 65. I just, and I have, I have been, Pam and I have been so blessed, so blessed. He, he, he blessed us when we were in unbelief. 
back. He blessed us when we were in false religion. He watched over and protected us and kept us safe. Kept us to the time appointed when he would send forth his, the, son of his, the spirit of his son into our hearts, causing us to cry, Abba, Father. And he's blessed us since the Lord first revealed himself to both of us back out at that, in the, I, I, at that old church. I can, I can still remember it like it was that last night, me and her sitting together over in the, in the office of that church listening to that cassette tape by Henry on Do You Really Want to Know the Gospel? And how from that point forward, everything that we've been through, he's exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think. And yet, still, because of who and what we are, myself more than anybody else, what do we often do? So filled with unbelief and doubt. Huh? Isn't that, isn't that a tragedy? Could you ever imagine yourself no longer wanting to hear this message? Never wanting to be with those who are of like precious faith? Can you? I, I can't. And that, that's not work salvation. I mean, that's just, that's just the reality. We've, we've been made new creatures in Christ Jesus. We've been given a new reality. We've been given a, a new hope. We've been given that, uh, we've been given all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And I know all of us, myself included, we don't spend enough time studying about these blessings that we've been given. We're too caught up with time and sense. And I tell you what, when you get toward the end of your life, you get in the latter stage, you, you seem to get more caught up with things of time and sense because you know there's a sense of urgency as you approach the end. But the only thing that matters is what? It's not going to matter that I've been married to Pam. If we're married 60 years, that's not that. I want to be. It's not going to make a difference. It's not going to be how much money I've got in the bank. I'll tell you what, somebody behind us is going to get it. It's not going to matter what men or women think about me or about you. The only thing that matters is what think you of Christ. What did he do for you? And I'll tell you what, if he reveals to you by his spirit, his great love for you, you know what you'll do? We love Him. And we do. I know a lot of people have a lot of trouble with that. They, but I tell you, we cannot be those that, that deny what the Scriptures teach. Think about it. If any man love father, mother, brother, sister more than me, not worthy of me. If anything in this life is more valuable to you than him, than what he did, examine yourself. Oh, you can love him. I love you. I, I, I encourage Matter of fact, you are encouraging the word of God. We're going to see it when we get to the book of Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved his church, and gave himself for it. Wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, right? That's true. And we will. 
We should. But that's not our hope. Our hope is this. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And you think about this. All these spiritual blessings, they aren't given to the, to the elect of God all at one time. Now, we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, but I know this much. I know one I don't possess right now. I'm not in a glorified body. How do I know that? My hair's falling out. I'm wearing glasses. I'm getting older. My, my, what hair I've got's turned white. Things creak and pop that didn't used to creak and pop, right? I hadn't been glorified, nor have you. We've experienced a lot of spiritual blessings. We, if, if we're born of God, we've experienced, we're, we're, we're adopted into God's family. We're heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. We're not waiting for that to happen. We're in the family of God. God is our father. Christ is our elder brother. We've experienced justification. We've been regenerated. We've been converted by His Holy Spirit. We've been sanctified by the Spirit, made holy and righteous in Christ, but we hadn't been glorified. But yet every bit of it, all of these blessings, they're spoken of in what tense? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us. Not who will bless us, who hath blessed us. Blessed us with what? All spiritual blessings in heavenly places. In heavenly places. This phrase in heavenly places literally translated as in the heavenlies. All our blessings reside where? In Christ, our Lord and Savior. And what it emphasizes is the realm in which all these things have already been carried out in the purposes of God, the Father, and the purpose of Christ the Son as the representative and surety of the whole election of grace. Look over one chapter, chapter 2. Look at verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, I mean, he, will, doesn't, he will love us. He, he loved us. Listen, and you've got to keep this in mind. Verse 4, wherewith he loved us, is said before all those things are written. It applies that he loved us while we, our, we had our conversation in time past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature, we're by nature children of wrath, even as others. He loved us. How do I know he loved us? John 3, 16. God so loved the world, what did he do? He sent his son. Isn't that what this is said? Who in rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Look verse 5. Even when we were dead. He loved us when? Even when we were dead in trespasses and sin. What did he do? He quickened us. Together. Here's the kicker. With Christ. By grace are you saved. And, <laughs> getting better than this, and hath, hath, past tense, hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Same heavenly places that's in our text. 
<laughs> Where are we at? We're sitting in Christ in heavenly places right now. Even though I'm in this, this earth physically still living here, I'm seated together where? In the person of my surety, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the key. You look back over it, I tell you, blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And I want, I want to emphasize this, and then we'll quit in Christ. In Christ. I told you last week, in Paul's epistles, he uses the phrase in Christ 130 times. 130 times. And in Christ shows us that all spiritual grace and blessings are conditioned not on the sinner, but who are they conditioned? They're conditioned on Christ alone. All these spiritual blessings, they can only be accomplished if Christ did what he was sent to do. If he wasn't who he said he was, and he didn't actually accomplish what he said he was sent to accomplish, there ain't no blessings for any of us. None of us. If any man be in Christ, Paul told those at Corinth, if any man be in Christ, new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God. Who hath, there's that word again, who hath reconciled us to himself. How, Lord? By Jesus Christ. And since he's reconciled us to himself, hath given to us the ministry of telling us what he had done. He's given to you and me the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, since that's true, because that's what that now then means. Since God has reconciled his people. Since God has not imputed sin to his people. David said, blessed transgressions forgiven. Blessed iniquity covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. I, t- I think about that. Every day of my life. That God will not charge sin to me. Though we fall a thousand times in a day, He will not charge our sin to us. Now, I don't use that as a license to sin more so I can get more grace. Matter of fact, it's a reproof more than anything else to realize how miserably I do fall short. But think about the eternal blessedness of the man that God's not imputing sin to. And he says that we're ambassadors as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Where? In your mind. Well, the sinner can't do that on his own. He can't reconcile himself. We can call on men to reconcile, but we call on them to be reconciled in their mind to what? He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Folks, all spiritual blessings were promised in view of Christ's incarnation, his obedience, his death, and his resurrection to work out a perfect righteousness based upon which God the Father be just to justify the ungodly. Paul told those at Corinth again, for all the promises of God in him. That's not in Christ, but it's the same thing. 
All the promises of God in Christ are yea, and in Christ, amen. So be it. Unto the glory of God by us. We'll quit with this. God couldn't confer one spiritual blessing on any guilty sinner apart from his holy law and justice being perfectly and completely satisfied. And all these spiritual blessings are in the hand of Christ, our representative. And you know what? He rules and he reigns to, to make certain that all these blessings come down to every object of his love. Look at this and we'll close. Look at John 17. I think about our Lord's high priestly prayer. Verse 1 through 3. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son that thy Son also may glorify thee. How? By his obedience unto death. By his satisfying law and justice on behalf of those whom he represented. As thou hast given him power, and that word power means authority. You've given him authority over all flesh. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. How do we get those blessings? Here it is. That he should get who? The Son of Man. The second person of the Trinity. That he should give eternal life to as many as. How many? As many as you have given him. Not one more and not one of those that God the Father gave to him be left out. As many as God gave him, Kenny, they get an eternal life. What is eternal? This is life eternal. That they might know thee, who? This God that's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly place. The only true God and who else do we know? Who else do we love? Jesus Christ whom the Father did what? Sin. Sent for one specific person, purpose. That all these blessings that God the Father blessed us with before the foundation of the world would actually become ours in time and throughout all eternity. Okay, you're dismissed the worst, but I appreciate your presence.